Section 23 of the World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. The Retort to Walpole by William Pitt, Earl of Chatham. Born in 1708, died in 1778, entered Parliament in 1735, attacked the government in 1755 and removed from office, Secretary of State in 1756 to 1757, again Secretary of State in the Coalition Ministry of 1757 to 1761, when he adopted vigorous measures in the Seven Years' War, Prime Minister in 1766, resigned on account of ill health in 1768, made his last appearance in Parliament in 1778. Footnote. This celebrated retort was made during the debate on Walpole's bill for the encouragement and increase of seamen. As here given, it was furnished by Dr. Johnson to the Gentleman's Magazine for November 1741. The phrasing of the retort in the main is undoubtedly Johnson's rather than Pitt's. Long after the date of the speech, someone mentioned it in Johnson's presence as superior to anything in Demosthenes, whereupon Johnson declared, I wrote that speech in a garret in Exeter Street. The internal evidence bears him out, for in these reports, Pitt, Walpole, Halifax, and Newcastle all speak alike, but the ideas are, of course, those of Pitt. The reply was not made to Sir Robert Walpole, the Prime Minister, but to his brother, Horace Walpole the Elder, who in answer to a speech Pitt had already made attacking Sir Robert's administration, had said, Formidable sound and furious declamation, confident assertions and lofty periods may affect the young and inexperienced, and perhaps the gentleman may have contracted his habits of oratory by conversing more with those of his own age than with such as have had more opportunities of acquiring knowledge and more successful methods of communicating their sentiments. If the heat of his temper, sir, would suffer him to attend to those whose age and long acquaintance with business give them an indisputable right to deference and superiority, he would learn in time to reason rather than to declaim, and to prefer justness of argument and an accurate knowledge of the facts to sounding epithets and splendid superlatives, which may disturb the imagination for a moment, but leave no lasting impression on the mind. He will learn, sir, that to accuse and give proof are very different, and that reproaches inspired by vindictiveness affect only the character of him that utters them. Excursions of fancy and flights of oratory are indeed pardonable in young men, but in no other. End footnote. 1741. The atrocious crime of being a young man, which the honorable gentleman has with such spirit and decency charged upon me, I shall neither attempt to palliate nor deny, but content myself with wishing that I may be one of those whose follies may cease with their youth, and not of that number who are ignorant in spite of experience. Whether youth can be imputed to any man as a reproach, I will not, sir, assume the province of determining. But surely age may become justly contemptible, if the opportunities which it brings have passed away without improvement and vice appears to prevail when the passions have subsided. The wretch, who after having seen the consequences of a thousand errors, continues still to blunder, and whose age has only added obstinacy to stupidity, is surely the object of either abhorrence or contempt, and deserves not that his gray hairs should secure him from insult. 
much more sir is he to be abhorred who as he has advanced in age has receded from virtue and become more wicked with less temptation who prostitutes himself for money which he cannot enjoy and spends the remains of his life in the ruin of his country but youth sir is not my only crime i have been accused of acting a theatrical part a theatrical part may either imply some peculiarities of gesture or a dissimulation of my real sentiments and an adoption of the opinions and language of another man in the first sense sir the charge is too trifling to be confuted and deserves only to be mentioned to be despised i am at liberty like every other man to use my own language and though i may perhaps have some ambition to please this gentleman i shall not lay myself under any restraint nor very solicitously copy his diction or his mien however matured by age or modelled by experience if any man shall by charging me with theatrical behaviour imply that i utter any sentiments but my own i shall treat him as a calumniator and a villain nor shall any protection shelter him from the treatment he deserves i shall on such an occasion without scruple trample upon all those forms with which wealth and dignity entrench themselves nor shall anything but age restrain my resentment age which always brings one privilege that of being insolent and supercilious without punishment but with regard sir to those whom i have offended i am of opinion that if i had acted a borrowed part i should have avoided their censure the heat that offended them is the ardour of conviction and that zeal for the service of my country which neither hope nor fear shall influence me to suppress i will not sit unconcerned while my liberty is invaded nor look in silence upon public robbery i will exert my endeavours at whatever hazard to repel the aggressor and drag the thief to justice whoever may protect them in their villainy and whoever may partake of their plunder and if the honourable gentleman at this point pitt called to order by winnington sat down in the course of his protest winnington said i do not sir undertake to decide the controversy between the two gentlemen but i must be allowed to observe that no diversity of opinion can justify the violation of decency and the use of rude and virulent expressions expressions dictated only by resentment and uttered without regard to whereupon pitt jumped to his feet and called winnington to order saying sir if this be to preserve order there is no danger of indecency from the most licentious tongue for what calumny can be more atrocious or what reproach more severe than that of speaking with regard to anything but truth order may sometimes be broken by passion or inadvertency but will hardly be re-established by a monitor like this who cannot govern his own passion while he is restraining the impetuosity of others happy sir would it be for mankind if every one knew his own province we should not then see the same man at once a criminal and a judge nor would this gentleman assume the right of dictating to others what he has not learned himself that i may return in some degree the favour which he intends me i will advise him never hereafter to express himself on the subject of order but whenever he feels inclined to speak on such occasions to remember how he has now succeeded and condemn in silence what his censures will never reform End of section twenty three Recording by Philip Gould.